You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. Have it open to Colossians chapter 3. Stand with me in honor of our Lord. This is His Word, and we're thinking together as we study through the book of Colossians and as we have come to verse 17 of chapter 3 about this issue, how to do your best all the time. And for three weeks now, we have been focused on one passage of Scripture as we've thought together about how to do your best. Every one of us wants to do our best and to be our best, to give a good account of our lives to the Lord. And so here we find the secret of doing our best all the time. Notice verse 17, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Look at these examples. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service to please men or as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he that does wrong shall receive for the wrong which he has done, and there is no respect of persons. Masters, give unto your own servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This morning, I want you to focus your attention on two verses, the last two of chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he that does wrong shall receive for the wrong which he has done, and there is no respect of persons. How to do your best all the time. Father, as we come before you in prayer this morning, we are keenly aware that you have sent your Son, Jesus, to be our Savior, that his life was broken and spilled out on Calvary for us. And Father, we want to spill out our lives for Jesus. Heavenly Father, our deep desire of heart is that we give a good accounting for the life that you have given us. We realize life is a gift. And Father, we thank you for it. We want to be good stewards over all that you give us. Father, my prayer this morning is that Christ would be honored by everything that is said. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would speak your words through this preacher. Father, I realize that you get glory to yourself in many, many ways. And you could choose to, to move in spite of me, to just circumvent me, to just go around me, to speak directly to the heart of people here. And Father, if there's anything in my heart that would keep me from being your servant to be used this morning, I pray that you would do that. But Lord, I pray that my heart would be so close to yours in the next few moments that the message I deliver would be the message that comes directly from you to us. Now, Father, we realize that it's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts, and we're trusting your Holy Spirit to do your work 
in our midst this morning. I pray that at invitation time you would find us eager of heart, ready, willing to do that which you have spoken to us. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Would you be seated, please? I'm always amazed when I go to the bookstores to see the number of books, courses, tapes, seminars on effective living. That's the hot topic. I think you're aware of that. How to succeed. How to do your best all the time. And as a matter of fact, they say that for the last 10 years, generally the books that have sold the most across our nation have in some way or the other dealt with how to live life and how to live it successfully. Hot books such as How to Plan Your Time Effectively, How to Manage Your Life, How to Manage the Lives of Other People, How to Be a Successful Leader. These are the hot items. These are the big books today. We are preoccupied in our nation with doing the best that we can. I think there is a sense in which this is a response to what has become a very mediocre approach to life. There was a time in the history of our nation when if you had some work done, it was done by a man who considered himself a craftsman at his trade. If he was making furniture, he took pride in the furniture he made. If he was working on your car, well, he realized that the kind of work he did was his signature. If he was selling insurance or building a house or uh, operating a, a large corporation, sitting as CEO of that corporation, he realized the way that he did his job was his signature. But we went through a stage, we've gone through a stage as a nation when we began to be satisfied with less than the best, didn't we? Now, as we have looked at this passage of Scripture, beginning with verse 17 of chapter 3, moving right on through verse 1 of chapter 4, we have seen three things. First of all, we have seen that there is an exhortation in this Scripture to which we need to respond. We don't need to just hear it. We need to do it. The Bible says, don't be hearers of the Word only, but be doers of the Word of God. Now, what is the exhortation? Look with me at verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Now, he continues that in verse 23. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. And we have seen that in order to do your best, you must be first the right man. In other words, you must be a man of God. You must have the right mind giving thanks to God for this wonderful opportunity to be alive at all. You must do it in the right manner, doing it heartily as unto the Lord with the right motive, not as a men-pleaser, but realizing that what you do is something God is watching. And then we've also seen in this passage of Scripture that there are some examples. I think it's wonderful of God that He not only gives us a precept, but He also gives us an illustration Sometimes when we receive a teaching from the Lord, uh, we, you know, men, for instance, uh, ladies love for you to say, all right, here it is, one, two, three, four, five, that's it. But men say, tell me a story or show me a picture. And so often when the Lord Jesus was speaking to men, well, he would tell a story or he would show them a picture. And so he's given us this precept, this exhortation. Now he gives us some examples of people who are doing their best. He says, for instance, if you're a wife, here's how to do your best. If you're a husband, here's how to do your best. If you're a child, here's how to do your best. Fathers, here's how you can do your best. Servants, here's how to do your very best before God. Masters, here's how you can do your very best. And so we have a picture 
or we have illustrations of what it means to do our very best. Now, this morning, I want you to look with me, as I said, at verses 23 and 24. And in these verses, we are going to see what I want to call the believer's expectation. We have had a biblical exhortation. We have had a basic example. And now we're going to look at the believer's expectation. Now, you're going to see that there's something out there before every believer which will encourage you to do your best. What is that? It is the eternity that we're going to have the privilege of spending with God in heaven. In other words, the fact that we're going to go to heaven one day and what's going to happen when we get to heaven will be an encouragement to us today to do our best. I was uh, talking with a man one time who was telling me about uh, his son. He said, my son one day had a seizure. He said it was something that never happened before. He said it was absolutely, he said it was just astounding to us. And he said, I didn't know what to do. And he said, my son, of course, he said it was just, just in absolute agony and writhing. And he said, uh, he, said, what I, he said, I just jammed my hand into his mouth just to keep him from biting his tongue. And he said, somebody went and called an ambulance. And he said, we got in the ambulance and we made our way to the hospital. And he said, uh, the whole time I was aware that my son was just gnawing on my hand. He said, but I, I kept thinking, we're going to get to the hospital any minute. There'll be help for my son any minute. And he went on to say, he said, I was perfectly willing because I love my son, I was perfectly willing to go through what I was going through at that moment because I knew there was help out there in the future. Now, what I want you to see this morning is this, that you and I are motivated to some extent to do the best we can, to be the best people we can be because we are aware that there is an eternity out there where we're going to spend our forever with God in heaven that this earth and life on this earth is so brief compared to all of eternity. And so what God's saying is this. Look, give it everything you've got. Be all you can be. Do the best that you can because you have only a short time here on this earth and there is a forever in heaven with me which awaits you. Amy Carmichael, who was a missionary in India, put it this way. She was encouraging people who'd worked with her to do their best. And she said, I want to remind you that we have all of eternity to celebrate our victories. They were wanting to have a little party and celebrate something that had happened. And, and somebody said, but if we have this party, you know, and we, if we meet like this, well, uh, you know, there's people out there who still have needs and we won't be ministering to them because we'll be having a party. We'll just be sort of resting on our laurels. And she said something like this. She said, listen, we have all of eternity to celebrate our victories but we have only a few hours before sundown to reach them. And so you and I must see that we have all of eternity before us. We're going to celebrate our victories. We're going to celebrate the joy that we have with God in heaven. But we have only a few hours before sundown. We only have between this service and when you die or Jesus comes, over which you can exercise stewardship and do your best and be your best. What I'd like to do this morning is to ask you to join with me in seeing what the Apostle Paul says about that place which we call heaven where we're going to spend our eternity. Look with me, if you will, please, again at verses 24 and 25. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. 
for you serve the Lord Christ. But he that does wrong shall receive for the wrong he has done. Now, what does that mean? Is that going to take place in heaven? He that has done wrong shall receive for the wrong he has done, and there is no respect of persons. I want to give you four words this morning which will help you to remember what kind of place heaven is, all right? First of all, it is a rewarding place. It is a rewarding place. For he says here in verse 24, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. There in heaven we receive a reward from the Lord. Now, what kind of reward is that? Well, in the first place, it's just a reward to be there. It's just a reward to be there. I don't know about you, but uh, there's some people in this world uh, whom I love so very much, and I just enjoy being with them. I mean, it's, it's not that I necessarily go there to their place to get anything except just to be with them. And I want to tell you something, dear friend. It will be reward enough just to be in heaven, just to spend your forever with the King of Kings, with the Lord of Lords, with the Prince of Peace, with the ruler over all of the universe, with the one who died on the cross and has risen from the grave and will come again for his church and will take us home to heaven to be forever with him. Just getting there is reward enough. Amen? If that's all there was, it's enough just to spend forever and ever and ever in heaven with God. There is a reward. But did you know the Bible says that in addition to being in heaven, if you're a believer in Christ, in addition to having the privilege of spending your forever with God in heaven, that God actually has rewards for those of us who are believers in Christ. That's right. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that believers will throw down their crowns at the feet of Jesus. Where do you think we get those crowns? Those crowns, the Bible says, for instance, are rewards. The Bible tells us that when Christ is going to rule over this earth for a thousand years, that during that time, believers in Christ will be able to enjoy some of the rewards he gives them, rewards they have received at what the Bible calls the judgment seat of Christ. Now, let me talk with you about the judgment seat of Christ for just a moment. Many times there are people who believe that if you know Christ as your Savior, that you will never experience any kind of of judgment. They open their Bible and they read, for instance, about the great white throne judgment at the end of time. And the Bible says those who stand before God at that time are those who do not know God. They have never received Christ as their Savior. They are the dead, spiritually dead of all the ages. Their names are not found written in the Lamb's book of life. According to their works, the Bible says, by the works of the flesh is no man justified. And so they're sent away to spend their forever where the devil spends his forever, that is, in hell. And the Bible speaks very vividly about this. And so most believers in Christ just breathe a sigh of relief and they say, well, there's no judgment for me. Oh, but that's not true. The Bible says that believers have a judgment. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. As a matter of fact, the issue will not be uh, whether you're going to get to heaven on the basis of how you are judged. You would, you would never arrive at this judgment unless you were going to spend your forever with God in heaven. What is the issue? The issue at the judgment seat of Christ is what did you do with what I gave you while you were on this earth? What did you do with what I gave you? while you were here on this earth? What did you do with that time? What did you do with your money? 
What did you do with those opportunities? What did you do with those relationships? As a matter of fact, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read about the judgment seat of Christ. For we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it says in verse 11, that we may be judged according to what we have done in the flesh. And on the basis of what we've done with what we had, we are accorded rewards, the Bible says. The Bible says our works will be tried. And they'll be tried as by fire, whether they are gold and silver and precious stones or whether they are what? Wood and hay and stubble. So everything that you do between now and when you meet the Lord God will be tried as by fire. And the end result will prove whether they're wood and hay and stubble or gold and silver and precious stones. The Bible speaks, for instance, Jesus spoke in a parable one time about a nobleman who was going to go away on a long journey. And it's a picture of Jesus going to the cross, receiving the kingdom, and coming back. And when he, before he left, he called his servants to him, and he said, Look, I'm going to give all of you the same. And when I come back, I'm going to demand an accounting. That's a picture of the judgment seat of Christ. They were his servants. And so the Bible says he went away, he came back, and there was a time of accounting. And you remember the servants came and they said, look, here's what I've done and, and here's what it is gained. And he says, you're a good servant. Another came. He said, you're a good servant. One of them came and said, I didn't do anything. And he said, well, then you'll receive the recompense of your reward. Now, the issue there is what did you do with what I gave you? Now, I want you to think for just a moment about what the Lord has given you. Think about the relationships you have. Think about the country that you live in. Think about the resources he's placed at your disposal. You see, there are a lot of people who are so preoccupied with thinking about what they don't have, they never consider what they do have. God's not going to hold you accountable for what you don't have. He's going to hold you accountable for what you do have. Moreover, it is according to a steward, what? That a man be found faithful. It's based not on what you don't have, not on what you haven't been given, but what you do have. And on that basis, the Bible says there will be rewards. Now, let me say this to you, that heaven will be a rewarding place. Now, what is the Apostle Paul saying here? He's saying, as you're down here running this race, you need to remember that at the end of this race, there's reward. Just getting there is reward enough. But in addition to that, God literally has rewards for every believer. Now, I don't know about you, but I uh, think that if you went to the average, uh, if you went to the average track meet, for instance, and you said to all the participants before, before it started, look, we're just going to get out here and run. There's not going to be any winners. There's not going to be any losers. There are going to be no awards. No team's going to win. No individual's going to win. We're not going to check the stopwatch. We're not asking anybody to set any records. There are going to be no medals awarded. We just want everybody to get out here and just run around the track and do what you want to do. How much incentive do you think they would have? Not very much, I don't think. Now, what is the Apostle Paul saying here? He's saying this life on this earth is not without purpose. It is not without incentive. It is not that at the end there is nothing. As a matter of fact, it is that at the end of this life, God, who is the faithful judge, will reward you. What did the Apostle Paul say? He said, I fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the course. Therefore, God, 
the righteous judge, what will he do? He said, there is laid up for me a crown of glory, which God who is the righteous judge, the judge who knows exactly what I did, he will give that to me, and not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, as you work now, you need to work with heaven in your mind. As you work in this moment, you need to work with eternity in your view. You need to realize that you're not living just for this moment, that there is a forever out there, and heaven is a rewarding place. All right, here's the second thing he says will motivate you to do your best. He said heaven is also a resting place. In other words, it is the end. He said, knowing of the Lord, you shall receive. There will come a time, if you could look at this in the original language, there will come a time when it ends, when all the striving, all the labor is over. It all ends. Heaven is a resting place. You'll not only receive a reward from the Lord, you will receive rest from your labor in heaven. Now look up here. Did you know that back in the Garden of Eden, before Adam and Eve sinned there in the Garden of Eden, did you know that they were in perfect harmony with God? But more than that, they were in perfect harmony with all that God had created. Now, that didn't mean that they didn't have to work. That didn't mean that they weren't busy. That didn't mean that they didn't accomplish things. Adam, for instance, why? They, God brought these animals before him. He named the animals. That didn't mean that there was, not, there was not a world over which they were to exercise dominion. The Bible said they were to be fruitful to multiply, to fill the earth, to have dominion over it. So it doesn't mean that there weren't tasks to be completed. But did you know that until man sinned, until they sinned, because they were in such harmony with this universe that all that they did, instead of debilitating them, instead of tearing them down, instead of being laborious to them, it was actually refreshing. Have you ever had a work like that where you were, you were doing something that you really enjoyed doing, you knew you were cut out to do it, and you went home, and man, it was not a labor, it was not agonizing to you at all. You had exerted energy, but you just felt refreshed from what you had done. Well, the Bible tells us that it was like that before sin. But then when man sinned, he fell out of correspondence not only with God, but he fell out of correspondence with his environment. It began to be hard to live. As a matter of fact, God said... The, the ground is going to yield begrudgingly. And life began to become a what? It began to become a labor. And just living and working began to have a debilitating effect on us. It began to be hard. Now, what did Jesus say? He said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? I will give you rest. So heaven is not only... A rewarding place heaven is a resting place now you say brother Tom does that mean that all that happens in heaven is that we just sort of kick back play the harp sit on a cloud float through the air and do nothing now I didn't say heaven was not a busy place I didn't say heaven is not a place where things get accomplished as a matter of fact the more I read the more I understand about heaven the more I see it is an unbelievably energetic place an unbelievably busy place as people are moving about with Christ as the focus of all. There's amazing things that will be accomplished in heaven, but it will not be laborious to us. It will be a place of rest for us, a resting 
place. You know, um, have you ever been in one of those uh, kind of jobs where, where somebody says to you, look, just stay with it. Let's just stay with it for a little bit. And uh, in a little bit, we can sit down. In a little bit, we can rest. I am in possession of, although I have never, um, I haven't uh, put it in my home where I want it to be, the dinner bell that was at my granddaddy's farm in Arkansas. It was on a post off of the back porch just beside the well. And that dinner bell was rung at noon when it was time for dinner. It was rung in the evening when it was time for dinner. It was also rung any other time if there was a fire. They would ring that dinner bell, and that would call the men in from the field and the people from any place around that might hear it because there would be a fire out there. There was no fire trucks, you know. People just come, and, and as a matter of fact, the, the farm burned down one time because there were so few people that they couldn't save it. But there was that dinner bell out there, and, and that dinner bell is, is mine, you know. And it, To me, it's a, it's a picture of heaven to some extent. As a matter of fact, I remember that old gospel song, Come Home, Come Home, It's Supper Time. Well, guys would get out there and work in the field so hard because they knew at some point they were going to hear the dinner bell and they'd go home and they could wash up and they could eat and they could rest. Now, let me just tell you that there are a lot of people who get so weary in this life and you're tempted to give up. You're saying, man, I just don't know how I can go. Listen, rest is on its way. But now is not the time. What did she say? We have all of eternity to celebrate our victories, only a few hours until sundown to win them. And so one of the motivations to do our best is this. There is coming out there at some point, rest. Now's not it. Now's not the moment to give up, to cash in, to throw it aside, to say, look, I'm going to live my own life. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm not going to give any account to God. I could care less. I'm just going to live for myself. Now's not the time to do that. There's coming a time when, why, there'll be the trump of God, the voice of the archangel, the shout, and Christ will come in the air. Then you can rest, friend, but not until then. Then those who labor and are heavy laden will come to Christ, and he will give them rest. So heaven is a rewarding place. Heaven is a resting place. Here's the third thing you need to know about heaven. Heaven is a restricted place. It is a restricted place. Not everybody who knows about heaven, not even everybody who wants to go to heaven is going to be there. In fact, heaven is refused to the lost. If it's a reward from the Lord and if there is rest from your labor, you'll see that heaven is refused to the lost. It is a restricted place. Notice, if you will, please, verse 25. He that does wrong shall receive for the wrong which he has done. Now, if you just read that casually, you'd think, well, wait a minute. Everybody has done wrong. Isn't it true, preacher? The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I've done wrong. I don't know anybody that hasn't done wrong. Does that mean that, that nobody gets to go to heaven that we know of because we've all done wrong? Well, you need to understand the word that is used here for wrong. It's a very interesting word. He that does, it's a word which refers to the righteousness of God. He who chooses to go against the standard of God. He who chooses his way as opposed to the righteousness of God, as long as he rebels against God, that person shall receive for the wrong which he has done. And that word for receive means he'll take it unto himself and he'll carry it with him. Now, this is what the Bible means, for instance, when it says the wages, the result, the reward or the payment for sin is death. We're all sinners. 
We're all separated from God. The wages of sin is death. Now, you find a man who keeps going on in this fashion saying, look, I want to go to heaven. I believe in heaven, but I'm going to go there my way. I'm going to try to go there by going to church, or I'm going to try to do it by my own good works, or I'm not going to think too much about heaven today. What I'm going to do is just wait till the end, and at the end, I'm going to convince God, if I find out there really is a heaven, I'm going to convince God that he ought to take me to heaven, and I'm not worried about that. You know what the Bible is saying here? The man who presses on in unrighteousness will carry the result of his unrighteousness. He'll never spend his forever with God in heaven. As long as he believes there is a way other than God's way to get to heaven, he will never spend his eternity in heaven. You see, heaven is a rewarding place, a resting place, but is also a restricted place. Not everyone is going to go to heaven. How does this affect your work? How does it affect the work that I do as a pastor? How does it affect your work in your office, in your home? in your company, at your plant? How would it affect your work knowing that not everybody goes to heaven? To me, it says this. I need to work in a way that properly represents my king, my Savior. What a wonderful privilege is mine to know God by receiving Christ as my Savior. Jesus, who died on the cross, who rose from the grave, he is alive, but he is alive in me. Now, because of that, the work that I do ought to be fitting as a representation of the king whom I serve. Do you remember when Philip the Great had brought before him one of his um, soldiers who had committed a crime? And... Philip uh, asked the man what his name was, and he said, well, this is very interesting. He said, sir, he said, my name is the same as your name. Philip the Great stood up, and he said, either change your name or change your behavior, for the name Philip is to stand for those characteristics which are great and noble. Now, what does it say to me in my place of business? What does it say to me as a pastor, for instance? It means that when I, do my when I carry out my responsibilities as a pastor, I need to do them as unto the king. I need to do them in such a fashion that, as a matter of fact, someone would say, well, that's fit for the kind of work that a man of God ought to do because I'm on my way to heaven. Not everybody's on his way to heaven. It means that I need to be sensitive as I do my work, that my life is either going to point people to heaven or it will say nothing to them about how they can spend their eternity with God. It will just keep them confined in their same old thinking, which will take them to hell. I need to be sensitive to the people around them. I need to make sure that my life represents the king whom I serve, for he is the one who's taking me to heaven. I don't know what that does about your work, but when I wake up in the morning, my first thought when I wake up, before I get out of bed, I mean, I just lie there in bed, my first thought is, Lord, I thank you that you have saved me. And you've allowed me through the, to live through the night so that I see another day. Now, Lord, I want this day to be a day that honors you. That's right. I want this day to be a day that brings honor to you. I don't want to do anything that would dishonor you. And I don't want to do the work that I do in such a fashion that you wouldn't be happy to put your stamp upon it and say, that's the kind of work that a Christian ought to do because not everybody has the privilege of going to heaven. Not everybody's going to be there. 
Not everybody's going to be with God forever. And I'm so grateful, Lord, that you've given me that privilege. I want to serve you as best I can on this earth. So what does Paul say? He says, well, you're motivated to do the best you can because, you see, you're not going to spend your whole of eternity here on this earth. One of these days, time will be over. There is a heaven out there for the believer. It's a rewarding place. It's a resting place. It is a restricted place. There's one other thing that I want to say this morning. It is a, it's a reachable place. It's a reachable place. It's a place where you can spend your forever. Every time we come to a worship service like this, I'm aware that there are people in the congregation. You may have your name on the membership roll of this church or some other church. You may never have joined a church. You may have grown up and gone to church, but your name's not on the roll of any church. You come to a service like this, and you become aware that something is missing in your life. And this morning in a service like this, something is missing. I don't know what it is. To, the, to you, this does not feel like a family reunion. To you, although you enjoy the music and the atmosphere, there's something missing in your heart. And down deep in your heart, you know what it really is. It's this. You don't have the, the certainty that heaven is your eternal home. It's something you want. You'd sure, I mean, who wouldn't want to live in heaven forever with the Lord? But you don't have the certainty that if you die, you're going to spend all of your forever in heaven with God. And you've heard this morning how heaven's such a wonderful place. It's a, it's a rewarding place, and, and it's a resting place, but you've heard that it's a restricted place because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. And you would say this morning, why, to me, I think heaven is restricted. Let me tell you that it's also a reachable place. What does the Apostle Paul say here? It's a very interesting statement. He says, He that does wrong shall receive for the wrong he has done, and there is no respect of persons. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying nobody is going to be good enough to get into heaven some other way but God's way. Nobody. There's no respect of persons. God's not going to say, well, you've done wrong, but you're such a neat guy, you're not going to receive for the wrong that you've done, your unrighteousness, your injustice. Uh, you get to come on heaven on to heaven your way, some other way. He's saying, no, there's no respect of persons. Nobody is so neat, so cool, so great, so smart, so wonderful, so big, so important that they get to get into heaven some other way than God's way. But now let's turn that over for a moment, and I want you to ask, ask you to think with me about this. On the other hand, there is nobody who is such a sinner who cannot get into heaven God's way. There's no respect of persons. Now, you can't get there some other way than God's way, but if you're willing to come God's way, there's nothing, there's no one that can keep you out. There is no respect of persons. Now, what is God's way? God's way is for you to come to him by faith in Jesus Christ. That means you repent of your sin. You say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm a sinner, but more than that, I know I'll never get to heaven my way. I repent of that, and I turn by faith to Jesus. Why to Jesus? Because as the wages of sin is death, so Christ died once for all. He died on the cross to pay for your sins and mine. He was the perfect Lamb of God. He never sinned, didn't deserve to die, yet he died as a substitute for you and me. Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He couldn't give you life if he wasn't alive. He rose from the grave. He is alive today. What does he promise? He says, whosoever will may come. 
He said, all the Father gives to me will come to me. Him who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. John said, as many as received him, to them gave he faith to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. Heaven is a restricted place, but it's a reachable place. Because you see, this morning, you can come to God by faith in Jesus Christ alone and receive eternal salvation. You can receive heaven as your eternal home. And having heaven as your eternal home will make all the difference in the way you live the rest of your life on earth. You'll work here on this earth knowing that while you may not receive everything you want now, heaven will be a rewarding place. You'll spend the rest of your life doing your best knowing that while it may take time and energy and blood and sweat and tears now, heaven will be a place where there will be rest from your labors. You'll work today knowing that when you get up in the morning, not everybody is on his way to heaven because it's a restricted place and you want to do all that you can do the way it ought to be done so that others will know that Jesus Christ will save them because heaven is not only a restricted place, it is a place that is reachable by you, but only by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, and I, this, this verse of Scripture changed my thinking as a college student. Although I, I'll be honest with you, I, I went through a little, little period of time where I wondered, maybe there are a lot of roads to heaven. You know, I mean, I just wondered that. I had found Christ, received him as my Savior. But I, you know how you get in that environment and you begin to ask questions. And, and I had asked this question. I thought, well, maybe, maybe, you know, just a fleeting thought. Maybe you've never had a thought like this. Just a fleeting thought. Maybe, maybe there are other ways and I found this passage of Scripture, this verse, in John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Now, if you can get to God some other way than by Jesus, then Jesus is a liar. If you can get to God some other way by, than by Jesus, then you can't get there by Jesus because no liar can take you to heaven. No man, he said, comes to the Father but by me. The converse is true. Any man can come to the Father through Jesus. What a wonderful place heaven is. Knowing about heaven, thinking about heaven, has changed my whole attitude about how I do my work now on this earth. I'm not just sitting around thinking in pious platitudes about pie in the sky by and by when I die. I can do my best on this earth because I am headed toward a rewarding place, a resting place, a restricted place, but a reachable place. And this morning, Christ can revolutionize your life. There's no way that you can be your best or do your best to be or do anything that God would have you to do unless you know Christ personally as your Savior and receive him by faith as the Lord of your life. And that's the invitation this morning for those who would say, I want to do my best. I want to be my best. Listen, the invitation is to know Christ as your Savior. In just a few moments, we're going to stand together. Our choir is going to help us as we sing this morning that old familiar hymn of invitation, Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, Lamb of God, I come. And the invitation this morning is for you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, to say yes to Jesus this morning. Now, there are going to be other people coming. Counselors will be coming. 
If you've made a decision in recent weeks and we've not introduced you to your church family, I'm going to ask you to come like these who are baptized this morning. Come and be seated over here where it says seating for new members. There'll be people coming to this altar to pray and say, Lord, it's been a long time since I have thought about heaven. And I realize now that the work I'm doing on this earth has not been all that it ought to be because I haven't done it with eternity in my thoughts. I've just been thinking I was working for myself, thinking that the thing I need to do is just get through this day. And I realize now that everything I do every day, I need to do with eternity in view. The fact, one day I'm going to spend my forever with you. And so you'll want to come to this altar and just kneel here and say, Lord, forgive me for that. Help me to be the kind of person I ought to be. Others will be coming to make other decisions. I believe they're here this morning, people, to whom the Lord is speaking about becoming a part of our church family. In every one of our services, it seems, God sends us individuals. Sometimes they're single people looking for a church home, a place of family. Sometimes they're young people, sometimes adults, sometimes grandparents. You come and say, look, I want to be a part of this church. Sometimes families come, couples come. They say, we want to plant our lives here and serve the Lord here. Well, there'll be counselors. They'll be standing right across the altar here, and I want to encourage you to find one of these counselors and just say, look, I'm coming, we're coming to be a part of this church. But, oh, dear friend, I want to encourage you to come and find Christ at this altar this morning. You say, I want to make sure that when I die, I'm going to heaven. I want to make sure that I have eternity in my heart. I want to know my sins are forgiven. Preacher, you said no sin could keep me out of, out of heaven. Do you realize all that I've done? I don't, but Jesus does, and he's already died for it. He's already paid the price for it. And this morning he says to you that if you'll come to him, receive him by faith as your Savior, you can have eternal life. It'll make all the difference in all of your life if you receive Jesus by faith as your Savior this morning. And so I want to encourage you to come. You may be here with a friend. You may need to turn to that friend and say, look, I'll go with you. Or you may need to say, would you go with me to the altar this morning? I want to say yes to God. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand together. And Father, how I pray, trusting that your Holy Spirit will move in power in these few moments. Bring to this altar those who will say this morning, dear Lord, yes, yes to you. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that not one of us would leave this place having to be less than we can be, less than the best for you because of a refusal to say yes to you. Oh, dear God, bring us to this altar to say yes to you. This morning I pray in Jesus' wonderful, and matchless, and blessed name, amen.